You must remember this A kiss is just a kiss A sigh is just a sigh The fundamental things apply As time goes by There are many legends surrounding the making of Casablanca. The script was written as the film is being shot. Humphrey Bogart was not the first choice. The film is made as a propaganda piece to help boost the war effort. But really, those anecdotes hardly explain why the film is so good. And what I want to do is look at what makes Casablanca such a perennial favourite. After all, its status seems to only increase with age. Could it be as simple as this? It is a good story, well told. That still doesn't get us anywhere. For a movie, having a good story and telling it well is an incredibly complex endeavour. You get your idea, finesse it, script it, finance it, cast it, direct it. Get good performances, frame the shots so they carry meaning, edit those shots so that the meaning is borne out, layer in the music. It's like getting the planets in alignment. The plane to Lisbon. You would like to be on it. Why? What's in Lisbon? The clipper to America. I've often speculated on why you don't return to America. Did you abscond with the church funds? Did you run off with the senator's wife? I like to think that you killed a man. It's the romantic in me. It's a combination of all three. And what in heaven's name brought you to Casablanca? My health. I came to Casablanca for the waters. The waters? What waters? We're in the desert. I was misinformed. To begin with, a good story carries subtext. The story might be set in prison, but really it is about spiritual redemption. A boy who befriends an extraterrestrial is really the story of Christ. An alien killing off the crew members of a spaceship is really about sexual anxiety. So, you need a series of visual metaphors that help tell the story in a non-verbal way. In a word, the film needs to be poetic. And just like a poem, some films have a scene or a sequence that condenses the entire film's theme to a single moment. It's like a key that unlocks the image system that constantly plays underneath the story. Richard Blaine, American, age 37, cannot return to his country. The reason is a little vague. We also know what you did in Paris, Mr. Blaine, and also we know why you left Paris. Don't worry, we are not going to broadcast it. My eye's really brown. You will forgive my curiosity, Mr. Blaine. The point is... An enemy of the Reich has come to Casablanca, and we are checking up on anybody who can be of any help to us. Well, my interest in whether Victor Laszlo stays or goes is purely a sporting one. Now, a poetic system has to be, it must be, it can only be underneath the surface of the story. It has to exist on a subconscious level. It must be subliminal. Why? Because if the audience becomes aware that something is symbolic, the story's surface is punctured, and the subtext becomes the surface and then it becomes superficial. How subliminal is Casablanca? Well, let's take the title, White House. Watch carefully, and you might notice that as the movie progresses, it gets gradually darker and darker, to the point that you might be tempted to call it Casanegra. You see what I mean? If Laszlo's presence in a cafe can inspire this unfortunate demonstration, what more will his presence in Casablanca bring on? I advise that this place be shut up at once. But everybody's having such a good time. Yes, much too good a time. The place is to be closed. But I've no excuse to close it. Find one. Everybody is to leave here immediately. This cafe is closed until further notice. Clear the room at once. 
How can he close me up? On what ground? I'm shocked, shocked to find that gambling is going on in here. You're winning, sir. Oh, thank you very much. Everybody out at once. How did that happen? Such things never occur by chance, so it was all in the planning. The film's director, Michael Curtiz, was a master craftsman. Born in Hungary, he made his way to the United States in the 1920s. And under the studio system, he earned respect for his no-nonsense work ethic. Curtiz was always looking for ways to tell the story not only as smoothly as possible, but as quickly as possible. Casablanca is an incredibly wordy film. The dialogue is chock full of superb exchanges, but such is the speed with which it moves that if it were made today, word for word, it would run well over two hours. As it stands, Curtiz's Casablanca is barely over 100 minutes. And yet, for all his no-frills direction, Curtiz was able to work in a poetic code. Waiting, waiting, waiting. I'll never get out of here. I'm dying, Casablanca. But can't you make it just a little more, please? Sorry, madame, but diamonds are a drug on the market. Everybody sells diamonds. There are diamonds everywhere. 2,400. All right. The clocks are ready. The men are waiting. Everything is ready. It's the fishing smack, San Diego. It leaves at one tomorrow night. Here from the end of La Madina. Third boat. Thank you, thank you. And bring the 15,000 francs in cash. Remember, in cash. Watch carefully and you will notice what is called aperture framing. Aperture framing creates a frame in the picture that repeats or echoes the frame of the screen a frame within a frame. But it's not just a literal frame. Casablanca has archways, windows, market stalls, staircases, low ceilings, and of course, doorways. Why? Again, I stress this is subliminal, but it's because Michael Curtiz was visualizing the theme. What's the theme? Like many of the cast and crew, Curtiz was a Jewish immigrant whose relatives back in Europe were being rounded up and systematically murdered by the Nazis. So. Almost everyone in Casablanca is a refugee seeking an exit visa to escape persecution. But since no one can get out, they are all imprisoned. Watch it carefully and you will see bars. At one point, Curtiz begins a scene by looking through banisters. Bars. Then in one of the few scenes set outdoors, the one in the marketplace, you will see Ilsa, played by Ingrid Bergman, wearing a hooped blouse, and Rick, played by Humphrey Bogart, wearing a striped tie bars? Well, not really. Stripes on their clothes, which means they're prisoners. We knew very little about each other when we were in love in Paris. If we leave it that way, maybe we'll remember those days, not Casablanca. Not last night. Did you run out on me because you couldn't take it, because you knew what it would be like, hiding from the police, running away all the time? You can believe that if you want to. Well, I'm not running away anymore. I'm settled now. Above a saloon, it's true, but... The walk up a flight. I'll be expecting you. <laughs> All the same, someday you'll lie to Laszlo. You'll be there. No, Rick. No, you see, Victor Laszlo is my husband. And was, even when I knew you in Paris. But look at that scene again, and you will notice that Ilsa is in white, with Rick in grey. This is important because Rick is the only American character in the film. Now, the movie went into production in May 1942, barely six months after the Japanese had attacked Pearl Harbor. While American opinion backed retaliating against the Japanese, large swathes of that same public felt that there was no need to get involved in Europe. After all, the Nazis hadn't attacked America. So, 
Hollywood got behind President Roosevelt and started making films to change public opinion. With Rick being the only American in the movie, and in this scene he is dressed in grey, he is neutral. Earlier on in the film, there's a scene in the nightclub where Rick is told that one of his guests is going to be arrested, and he is warned not to intervene. Rick replies, I stick my neck out for nobody, to which the French prefect of police says, a wise foreign policy. So, there we have it. The movie was a propaganda exercise pointing out to American audiences that neutrality was wrong. But they're asleep in New York. But they're asleep all over America. Of all the gin joints in all the towns in all the world, she walks into mine. That's your plan. Oh, just a little something on my own. Oh, stop it. You know what I want to hear. No, I don't. You played it for her, you played it for me. Well, I don't think I can remember. If she can stand it, I can. Play it. But now, over 70 years later, the propaganda has faded far into the background, and what we get instead is the love story. Which brings me back to Ilsa and Rick in the marketplace. Rick is in grey, but Ilsa is in white. They're both wearing hats. Rick's is a fedora, while Ilsa's, well, let me say that Ilsa's entire character is a metaphor. Not always, but repeatedly, she is dressed in white. Thus, she can be seen as the embodiment of all things virtuous in the story. Honesty, self-sacrifice, and above all, freedom. Look at her hat. It is circular. Hmm, could that be a halo? She is, after all, the moral and spiritual heart of the story. Now, there's one thing to know about looking for metaphors. You can read too much into them. With Ilse, you may notice that in practically every single scene, she is placed on the right-hand side of the frame. That has nothing to do with being right or righteous or anything else. It is as simple as this. Ingrid Bergman knew that her profile looked better on her left. So in order to see her left, she was placed on the right-hand side of the frame. Subliminal? Absolutely. Ilse, I'm no good at being noble, but it doesn't take much to see that the problems of three little people don't amount to a hill of beans in this crazy world. Someday you'll understand that. No, no. He's looking at you, kid. <laughs>